Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. A couple of years ago, I gave a message about being a man after God's own heart. And I specifically talked about David. Well, I'm going to talk about David again, but I'm going to add a few more people. Because there's uh, quite a few that have a heart after God's own heart. So I'm going to start about David. David was the youngest son of eight brothers. Between, I think, the years 15 and 17, David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. David was faithful and obedient in his capacity as a shepherd. I believe that David, on his way to the sheep, would take with him his harp and sing songs of worship to God. I don't know how it is when you watch sheep, but I imagine it gets pretty boring. But it was a time that God and David grew in a powerful and intimate relationship. Also, his father Jesse undoubtedly had been faithful in teaching David the things of God and the Holy Scriptures. David would also hone his proficiency in the sling as he slew the bear and the lion. David would have spent countless hours practicing shooting rocks from a sling to fight the enemy, namely the lion and the bear. The question remains for us today, what are we doing to hone our skill in fighting the attack of the enemy, namely Satan? It was those qualities that later gave David the courage and faith to fight the giant Goliath. David proved himself faithful with smaller battles. We must also show ourselves faithful in smaller things before God can trust us with bigger battles. When Goliath mocked the God of Israel, David, facing the giant, responded, and you may want to read this sometime. I think this is so powerful. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. David said, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Powerful, powerful. All we have to say now when the enemy attacks is, the Lord rebuke you. That's all we have to say. And he flees. David, anointed the king of Israel, was a man of war, designated by God to lead the army of Israel against its enemies. Later in David's reign, he became a little, shall I say, slothful, and had his generals go out and fight for him. It was during that time, which I'm convinced that David did not spend much time in prayer, this may have given Satan an opportunity 
to tempt David with Bathsheba. David's weakness resulted in adultery and then murder. When confronted by the prophet Nathan, David did confess and repent. However, the consequences of that sin tormented him the rest of his life. With the death of his and Bathsheba's illegitimate child, the rape of his daughter by one of his sons, who that son was later killed by Absalom, another of David's sons, and then later Absalom rebelled against David and was eventually killed by David's general Joab and his men. You see, God's mercy and grace abounds, but there is always consequences of sin, even though we are forgiven. There is one constant about David, however. He was a man after God's own heart. So let's take another well-known man in the Bible, Abraham. Abraham was called by God to leave his family in his land and go into another land that would eventually be given to him and his offspring. Abraham was obedient to leave, but not without some doubts and the lack of faith along the way. Twice, Abraham, out of fear of his own life, lied about his relationship to Sarah, his wife, saying that she was his sister, which was a half-truth. Once when he was 75, and the second time when he was 100. Now, Sarah was 10 years younger than Abraham. I I have to tell you, there's some very good-looking 65-year-old women around. So I could kind of see that. But then we have when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Now, I'm probably going to get some bad mail about this, but I have to tell you something. The king of Abimelech, who took Sarah and eventually to be his wife, must have had a severe case of cataracts or macular degeneration. Yeah, no offense to all our young ladies who are 90 years old. You're beautiful. Also, waiting for God to fulfill his promise to Sarah of the birth of a son, Sarah did suggest that Abraham agreed and agreed to having a child through her servant, Hagar. Later, God would test Abraham by commanding him to offer his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. And you could read that in in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. In spite of Abraham's lack of faith, God still protected his promise to Abraham. God also protected Isaac and saved Sarah from marrying other men. God is faithful, even when we are not. But God looks at the heart of man, not always at our failures. Abraham is known as a man of righteousness and faith, but only past that death when his son Isaac at Mount Moriah. Only then did God know Abraham was a man after his own heart. God said to Abraham, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. A side note, at the age of 99, God changed Abram's name, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. 
God changed Abraham's wife's name from Sarai, which means princess, to Sarah at the Annunciation of the Birth of Isaac, which means princess of the multitude. Interesting sidebar there. Although Abraham's, Abraham's moniker is a man of faith, the consequence of his displaying a lack of faith with giving birth to Ishmael resulted in the descendants to this day are sworn enemies of Israel. In preparing this message, I determined to find a king of Israel other than David who did good in the sight of God. Unfortunately, out of all the kings of Israel in Judah, I only found a few. I chose Hezekiah. It reads in 2 Kings chapter 18, 1 through 7, it says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He removed the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Azure poles. He also believed in prayer and would seek the counsel from the prophet Isaiah. Once surrounded by the king of Babylon and his vast army in Jerusalem, I think his army was somewhere around 300,000, Hezekiah inquired of God, and God, through the prophet Isaiah, told the king that the Lord would fight the battle for him. That night, 180,000 enemy soldiers were killed by an angel of the Lord. One angel. So if you see an angel, please treat him with respect, okay? Although Hezekiah did great things as a king, there were some of the failures that he experienced as well. He had a pride issue. He showed off all his acquired wealth from the defeat of his enemies, much at the displeasure of God. God inflicted Hezekiah with a disease which would have killed him had Hezekiah not cried out to God for his life. Isaiah told him that God would grant him 15 more years. However, God also advised him that after his death, Judah would be defeated and his people would be exiled to Babylon. Selfishly, Hezekiah seemed okay with that as long as he would not experience that himself. Had Hezekiah prayed as hard for Judah as he prayed for himself, perhaps Judah may have been spared a little longer. Although through many failures, Hezekiah did good in the sight of God and is regarded as a man after God's own heart. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't name some wonderful women who also followed God's own heart. Let's look at a woman named Esther. In the year 486 to 465 BC, King Xerxes ruled as king of all the provinces of Babylon. Esther, along with her cousin Mordecai, were of tens of thousands of Jews who were exiled to Babylon. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, but she was convinced by her cousin Mordecai to change her name to a Persian name, Esther. 
as to not reveal her true heritage. There came a time that the king needed to find a new queen, which is a story in itself sometime. So an edict was sent out throughout the land. Esther was one of many virgins who were believed to be the perfect choice to be the next queen of King Xerxes. Esther was very beautiful. And when presented to the king, he was so delighted with Esther that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen. Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. One of King Xerxes' noblemen was a wicked man named Haman. Haman grew to hate the Jews because Mordecai refused to bow down to him as he paraded through the streets of the city. As a result, he decided to destroy all the kings throughout the entire empire. Haman talked the king into agreeing with his plan. The edict was sent out through the land on March 7th of the following year. The plan would be carried out. Mordecai, finding out about this plan, let Esther know of the king's edict through a servant of hers and asked her to plead with the king for her people. Esther relayed a message back to Mordecai that if she appeared unannounced before the king, he would have her killed. Mordecai replied, don't you think for a moment that because you're in a place as a palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed? He said also, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Esther responded to Mordecai to go and gather all the Jews and fast for three days. She also instructed her maids to do the same. She finished her message to Mordecai that even though it is against the law that she would go to see the king and if I must die, I will die. And to put in her words, if I perish, I perish. Long story short, Esther did as Mordecai requested and the king welcomed her visit and after some very creative and divine planning was able to reveal Haman's plan which would have caused Esther to be killed along with all the other Jews in the land since she herself was of Jewish heritage. The king was furious and had Haman impaled on the same pole that he had planned for Mordecai. The king could not revoke his edict against the Jews, but through another edict allowed the Jews to defend themselves by allowing them to arm themselves with swords and spears. 75,000 enemies of the Jews were killed. The festival of Purim is celebra celebrated by Jews annually to this day on the 14th day of the Hebrew month of Adar, which is our February. Esther, overcoming her fear and following after God's own heart, saved all the Jews throughout the land of Babylon. She is celebrated for her bravery at the risk of her own life and was a woman following after God's own heart. So let's take a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was visited by the angel Gabriel 
when she was about 14 to 17, somewhere around there. She was a virgin and engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, saying, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. After Mary inquired how this could happen since she was a virgin, the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, which will be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Mary replied, this is amazing at her young age, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Months later, Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant with her son John, who would eventually be John the Baptist. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, knew Mary was blessed above all women because Mary believed that the word of the Lord would be true. Listen to part of Mary's prayer and song, rather. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So why did I choose to talk about these five people? Well, they were all people who followed after God's own heart. But some had their times of doubt. Some sinned greatly in the sight of God and showed a lack of faith. But God was always faithful because he looked into their hearts. These people were just like you and me. God is still today looking for people to follow after his own heart. So how do we become a person after God's own heart? Well, let's take a look at some qualifications. And I think there's a, should be a little list of qualifications up there. Okay, number one, not perfect. Who qualifies? <laughs> hey, I was so happy to see that. God can use people who are not perfect. Hallelujah. Number two, people that have a desire to be faithful and obedient. Number three, a person who shows a love for him outwardly. Number four, a person pursuing him, reading his word. Number five, which is a big one, and I'll come back to that. A person who prays and who longs for an intimate relationship with God. Number six, one who repents of their sin. Number seven, one who worships God with their life, sharing the gospel of truth with others. Finally, number eight, one who honors God's anointed. That means honoring our pastors. So the question is, are you a, a man or a woman who 
follows after the heart of God. Or put another way, is God at the center of your life? This is a life of someone who doesn't really have it all together. And this was mine, not too many years ago. Number one was my ministry. I was a worship leader. I was asked to be a deacon even before I knew what a deacon was. I was leading a Bible study. I was a music oversight leader. I was a church, and I, was, <laughs> I belonged to a, a Christian rock band named Rama, that some of you I, I remember. So I was gone from home four or five nights a week. Number two, my job. I was just starting a brand new trucking company, and I was gone many days out of town. That was kind of my next priority, my job. Number three was recreation, taking my customers out to lunch or dinner and playing golf, racquetball, doing all those kind of wonderful things. Number four was my family, which unfortunately I didn't have a whole lot of time spending with, and I regretted that as time went on. Number five was God. Interesting, how could I be in ministry and that God would be the last of my priority? Well, if you don't have an intimate relationship with God and you're not praying every day, communicating with him, that foundation gets so small. And mine was that small. And when the wind blew and it came, the storms came, everything that I had done prior fell over. It was not pretty, not pretty at all. Okay, this is a man who has it all together, okay? You see in the middle? <laughs> in the middle, there's God. And there's no circle around God because there's no barriers to family, job, ministry, and recreation. And I put it in order, this. Obviously, God is number one. Your family is number two. It says in the Bible, if you don't take care of your family, the rest of what you do doesn't have the power that God wants to give you. Number three, your job. We are to work as if we are working for the Lord. And if we are not doing that, if, not, if God is not reaching into even your workplace, then there's a problem. You're not going to excel. Number four is ministry. You might say, why is ministry that, that far down priority? Because if you're not doing one, two, and three, your ministry has no power. You may get around for a while, and I did for a while, but things come crashing down after a while. Number five, recreation. All right, what's that? Well, who are your friends? Are they not saved? And if your friends are not saved, do they know that you are the same Sunday as you are to them whenever you're meeting with them? This is what I'm aspiring to. This is what I've been inspired to do and live my life. 
for several years now. And this is the only way that we're going to be pleasing to God. He has to be number one in our lives, folks. Number one. And it starts with prayer. Number five on that list was pray. Longs for an intimate relationship with God. We talked about David, who loved the Lord with all his heart. And sing words of praise to him. And the rest also love God with all their heart. Some eventually. Larnell Harris, a great singer, sang a song over 50 years ago. The title was, I Miss My Time With You. And I'm going to read some of those lyrics now. There he was just waiting. It's about a guy who's kind of rushing to get to work. So he was just kind of busy, busy. Well, I'm late, so I better get going. But as he was passing by this one particular place, he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him. He said, there he was just waiting in our old familiar place, that empty spot beside him where once I used to wait to be filled with strength and wisdom for the battle of the day. I would have passed him by again, but I clearly heard him say, I miss my time with you. Those moments together, I need to be with you each day. And it hurts me when you say, I'm too busy. Busy trying to serve me, but how can you serve me when your spirit's empty? There's a longing in my heart wanting more than just a part of you. It's true. I miss my time with you. Second verse says, what will I have to offer? How can I truly care? My efforts have no meaning when your presence isn't there. But you'll provide the power. If I take time to pray, I'll stay right here beside you. And you'll never have to say, I miss my time with you. So if you would, please pray with me. I'll try to get through it. (laughs) Abba Father, thank you, Lord, for wanting from us a personal relationship with you, the God of the universe, the God of all things, the God who sacrificed his son on the cross to die for us, to give us eternal life. How precious it is to have that relationship with you. It's like, Lord, a, a, a little child on Christmas morning waiting to see what's under the tree. May we have that kind of desire to get up in the morning and to have communion with you. Lord, help us all to take these words to heart. They're your words, Lord. They're your stories of people following after your own heart. And may we live out each day of our lives doing just that, following after your own heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. 
How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.